not having any attachment to being seen a particular way or having to present myself and my business as a brand. And those things are important, but I've let go of the need to constantly curate my own image because I don't get to decide what people think of me. So I may as well have a good fucking time while I'm out here doing it. You're listening to Social Slowdown, a podcast for entrepreneurs and micro businesses looking for sustainable marketing strategies without being dependent on social media. I'm your host, Meg Casebolt, and I have a new book coming out called Social Slowdown. It's taking all of the 80 plus interviews that we've done so far in this podcast series and turned it into something that's a little bit more easily digestible. It will be available on July 27th, 2023 and it'll only be $4 on Kindle and $9 on paperback. So I would love, love, love if you could support the podcast by going on Amazon and buying the book. If you pre-order it, I would especially appreciate that because that would help us get to a bestseller status. Even if you don't read it, that's okay. So if you want to get your copy of the Social Slowdown book, head on over to socialslowdown.com book and get that today. And now let's get back to the podcast, which is all about finding creative, sustainable ways to engage with your audience without needing to lip sync, send cold DMs, run ads, or be available 24-7. Let's get started. Another part of the issue is that we have some metrics about the ways in which the corporations ByteDance and Meta inflate your views and follower counts so that you get addicted to creating content on these platforms, creating media for these platforms, and then, oops, it wasn't organic, so it didn't actually exist in the first place. Do you think that that folks who are neurodiverse are more likely to be caught up in that because of the, the dopamine needs? Maybe just ADHD. I don't want to speak to all neurodiversity, but I would say as, as an ADHD brain myself, like, mm-hmm. I think that we are more prone to addiction and getting that constant because like there's a lot of theories that ADHD is a deficiency of dopamine in our brains. And if we're getting it from social media, which is a dopamine slot machine, right? (laughs) Social media is designed to feed you dopamine Uh, uh, threads. And I haven't found a way to turn it off. There's this haptic response when you get uh, a notification, oh yeah, so your phone vibrates in your hand. If you don't think that's addictive, then man, listen, I'm sure I got some shit I can sell you because- Let's talk about Pavlov and his optimal conditioning because like that excitement, even if mm-hmm. it's just like a little burst in your brain every time, you know, every time your phone or your watch or your tablet buzzes or beeps, Even if you're thinking like, I'm going to turn it off, I'm going to be in deep work, I'm not going to pay attention to it. There's still always that part in the back of your brain that's like, but is that one important? But is that one going to be the game changer? Who who was was that one? You know, like it it takes away your focus. It takes away your ability to, again, to to have autonomy over how you're spending your time and where your resources are being allocated. 
We've also, at this point in time, research clearly indicates that the average attention span has decreased significantly. And that's true even if you don't use social media. We're not quite sure what has caused that, like, universal decline, but the fact is that your phone is your 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 dopamine slot machine is largely responsible for most of this and we have so many choices as marketers we should all be familiar with the parable of too many options right that jam study that they did back in the aughts or 90s i can't remember but basically they did a tester sample yeah like a taste test of samples a taste of jam. test of samples of jams at one place there were three jams available and there was something like a 70 percent conversion rate off of these taste tests because you could taste your jam there were only three choices and you'd go oh i like this one mm-hmm. i'm buying it Meanwhile, the jam table with 12 jams converted at a much lower rate. And I'm making numbers completely up, but I think it was like 30% here. Like it less was less than half. Sp- I remember it being less than half. Right. Because when you have 12 choices, your brain says, oh, well, I liked the cherry and I liked the blueberry. And I can't remember if I liked the maple bacon. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going to buy anything at all. It's like going to the Cheesecake Factory and trying to decide. Like, you just. Oh, God. I I have no idea. I have no idea. And that's what we're doing to our brains all the time, is we're giving it Mm -hmm. so many options. We're overstimulating it. And, like, we stay. It's. I, I. had always been told as a marketer, as somebody with, you know, sales theory, that confusion turns us off and a confused mind says no. But. What the research is showing is that when people get accustomed to the stimulation, they seek more stimulation, but they're not necessarily making those decisions to your point where it's like people aren't going on to Facebook or scrolling their Instagram or watching the TikToks and being like, I don't know if that's how you pluralize TikTok. I don't know. I, I left social before TikTok became a thing, but <laughs> they're watching TikTok videos and but they're not changing their behavior. They're not behaving. They're just watching passively. And that's something that a lot of people come to me and they say, like, I used to get sales from people watching my live streams or my IGTV back when that was a thing. Right. Uh Um, I just talked to somebody yesterday who came in and she's like, I've been selling on Instagram. I have to be on Instagram all the time. She's a a jewelry curator. Um, So she finds vintage jewelry and then sells it. And she's always doing lives on Instagram. And she's finding that even on that, even though it's a system that works for her, her conversions are going down because People, I think people are just like, another decision? Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a cute necklace. But what if somebody gets to that necklace before I get it? I'm not going to bother. And so I think part of the answer here is how do we create, like, feedback overrides? If I know that I don't have the attention span to read a book anymore... And I'm going to be really honest, even on my Kindle, just physically reading a book 
has become very difficult for me, which mm. is quite a come down from the girl who used to spend hours and hours a day reading until I couldn't see straight. But that's just not what my brain, my brain doesn't get enough stimulation from that. So I've switched to audiobooks at 1.5 speed because I can at least give my brain the feedback at the speed that it desires while also giving it something with more depth. I've also found, especially with nonfiction, that if I listen and read the print version at the same time, I'm much more likely to retain, especially if that's if the audiobook is read by the author, I feel like I'm getting so much more value from reading the words while listening to the words at the same time. But listen to that and really consider what that means. I used to be able to listen to Taylor Swift while reading my books for hours in the afternoon. That split attention is so ingrained in us now that it makes it difficult for us to retain any information. So if we want to retain, we have to find ways to multi-channel the information into our brains. And that's work. It's a lot more work. And when you were talking about like, I used to be able to sit down and read a book and maybe not cover to cover, but to like fall into the book. Uh And that is not the behavior that is normalized in your life anymore. But at the same time, I'm hearing you say, I have these 20,000 data points that I've been collecting where instead of going and sitting and reading one thing, I am always seeking out new information. And some of that is like, you're looking for the most recent information. And by the time it makes its way into a book, it may or may not be the most recent information. Probably not because publishing and editing takes a right. while. Um, even in the age of self-publishing where I can publish a book, I could publish my book tomorrow and it would be ready for the world to buy. Right? Like, But th- there's a desire for novelty that mm. books can't give us the same way. And I found that when I started to diversify myself off of social media, that's when my reading went up. But it's still there are still times where I'm like, I just was looking it up when I was when you were talking about it, where it's like how many times you pick up your phone. Um, and I sometimes will read on my Kindle and sometimes read on the Libby app because that's just what ava- what's available. And Libby will track for you. Like you on this day, you read for this many hours and you picked up your phone this many uh-huh. times. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it can take me 30 pickups to read Mm -hmm. two hours because I'm getting interrupted or I'm going to look for something else or I'm getting distracted or like even sometimes it's like, oh, I was reading that book, but then it made me think of this other thing and I want to go write it down before I forget it, right? Like even when we do have the focus and the desire to be like, I'm going to go read this book, our brains are always thinking about something else. We're getting distracted and we have the, the behavior cues to leave Uh the book behind. Books have a tendency to have like, I don't know if there's a precise term for this, but it's like the sticking point where when you're reading and it gets hard, Mm -hmm. like there's a moment where your brain has to go, 
I'm going to get over this hump and continue to read. That's much easier to do with a physical book than it is even with like a Kindle or a digital copy. Because if I hit that sticking point, my Kindle, the odds of me going, oh, I'm just going to go find another book are high. Mm -hmm. So even if I'm still reading, I'm still leapfrogging from point to point to point. And I think that part of what we are missing is depth. So one of my favorite creators, Ev Chapman, has something she calls the spark system. And it's not really relevant to this other than the degrees at which ideas grow and evolve and progress. Uh, Progressive summarization is another thing that comes up in this field here. And what you're looking at is you can start a thought as a spark, which in social media terms is often a tweet, right? Mm -hmm. Something short and quick that you can just put up and get, get feedback on. And if it gets feedback, perhaps you then develop that into a thread or a longer Facebook post. And then if that continues to develop traction, you can turn it into a blog post. And then you can take 30 of those blog posts and turn them into a book, right? Mm -hmm. But the development of the idea really undergoes a lot of shining, polishing, right? It starts as a spark, as an idea. But by the time you get to the book, you have spent a lot of fucking time with this idea. (laughs) You've really had time to figure out what it means and what potential arguments might be. You've had conversations about this. So when people are throwing books away or not finishing them or reading them less, which we are markedly doing at this point in time, Amazon can tell you we're reading fewer books now, even digital books than we were 10 and 20 years ago, despite the number, the volume of books increasing we spend less time on them is a loss of depth, a loss of nuance. And again, that's a real problem because it's what makes people our enemy. It's what creates division. Friction is where we sit with the hard stuff and go, I don't agree with you, but let me listen to you anyway. That doesn't happen in short form medias. And it definitely doesn't happen at speed. So the reason Twitter feels like a hellscape An unescapable hellscape is because everybody's delivering their hot takes. In real time. In real time. And there is no nuance. 
there's no time to process because by the time you've gathered and collected the information and had time to read through it and think about it and take the long walks and take the shower and go, what does this all mean? And try to synthesize it into something that has value greater than the sum of its parts. The conversation has moved on. We're not talking about that anymore. Sorry, Mr. Window. Right. And when we're talking about thought leadership, it shouldn't ever be about how you can weigh in on the current hot button issue. That's not leader. Should... That's follower, right? Correct. And, and I don't think people understand that distinction. I talk about that a lot because, you know, I have thought leaders coming to me for search for, for SEO. And I'm like, well, if you're leading the conversation, then the search terms don't exist yet. Right? Nobody knows to look for what you are creating if you are actually going to lead the conversation. But the search will follow once you have changed the conversation happening. Once you have started to influence the industry conversations, then you, you can be the first. Once you put your stake in the ground, then you can be the first there, right? And you can have the authority on that topic, but you cannot follow from, you can't lead from the back. And all of that's about language, right? There's a substack that I follow called the Category Pirates. And they recently did a webinar where they were promoting their new book. It was 90 minutes. It was a really great time. And at the very end, one of the pirates told this story about the highway in his town and how a storm last year had damaged the highway. So they were looking to fix the road, right? And the argument was, well, this happens a lot. We're just going to let it happen. Yep. We're not going to fix the road. We don't need no stinking infrastructure. By changing the language around this, which they did through various means, but a, a small group of people got together and figured out what the coastline actually looked like over the last hundred years and how much this storm pattern had damaged the coastline and that there was this historic piece of land here that had a bunch of economic benefit and to create economic benefit well you have to have a road that leads there so they named this little recreation area and talked about reclaiming the original coastline. And now we're not talking about building a road. We're talking about reclaiming the original landscape while protecting this historic recreation center. And now everybody's on board with building a road. The point is that the language we use around 
the work that we are doing matters a great deal. And if we're not defining our terms, if we're not saying these words matter and we need to all be using them in the same way, then we're not even having the same conversation. And social media does not allow for the distinction here of whether or not we're even having the same conversation. It's just people yelling at each other and trying to be the loudest voice in the room. Just people trying to be the loudest voice in the room. So you quiet quit. You're still there, but you're removing yourself. You're protecting yourself. Right. For me, it's about removing my energy from this equation. I can't remove my business. I can't remove the fact that I am literally creating media at scale. All of those things have to be there still. But it also means that I'm more willing to play with the mediums. So literally today, like, it's so stupid and I'm so excited. Marisa Lowen took a phrase that I had spoken in a workshop last month. I literally said, I have cats. And and she remixed it and turned it into a dance hit. And now (laughs) I have a Spotify artist profile. (laughs) And listen, if me saying... I have cats is the thing that gets me additional traffic. I'm not going to say no to it at this point in time. Not having any attachment to being seen a particular way or having to present myself and my business as a brand. And those things are important, but... I've let go of the need to constantly curate my own image because I don't get to decide what people think of me. So I may as well have a good fucking time while I'm (laughs) out here doing it. And we made this song. It's on Spotify and iTunes and some other place now i think you can even listen to it on youtube music like it's all the places and i'm like i just have to go spend some time promoting my new dance hit of the summer i have cats you get to experiment you get to have fun with it and you get to take it not so seriously yeah, you can That's take your ego I, out of it because you're not going to control the narrative anyway. Right. So just have some fun. Be a weirdo. And because, again, you don't own any of these things on social media, I've really tried to embrace a 80-20 rule of 20% creation, 80% promotion that I have no attachment to. If... I uh, social media conversion is the, a fucking nightmare, right? <laughs> like it's one to three percent of 
your audience will see your posts, your conversion rate on that low number is even worse. So while I recognize that a lot of people's entire businesses are built on the back of this, that number is only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And the more, again, the more networks there are, the more places you have to show up, the less saturation you have. If that's the case, then you better be creating something really fucking good once and then talking about it for a while because no one's going to see it. I think this plays into the idea for business owners about repetition, how often we have to repeat ourselves and how sick we get of our own voices. I talk about neurodiversity and accessibility all of the time. I have a huge number of accessibility educators, of DEI folks, of neurodivergent people in my audience. I used to forget that that was the community that I had built and not a representation of the greater world (laughs) at large. Right. And what I did for that. So it's not quite social media. It's different. There's a website called lunch club and lunch club uses AI to match you up with strangers and you hop on a call with them for 45 minutes and just have a conversation. You're not really supposed to pitch your stuff, although that happens there. But mostly it's really, and it's 45 minutes, so you actually got to have a decent conversation. When I introduce myself as a DEIA educator in neurodiversity, I have to then say, do you know what any of those words mean? Right. And shockingly, I guess about 70% of the time, I have to explain at least one of them. I'm not surprised. And and five years ago, you would have had to explain all of them. All of them, all of the time. Every single, the, all five of those words. Mm-hmm. So it helps to... Okay, but before we before we move on, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, right? Those are the That's four, correct. and then neurodiversity, which we've already discussed mm-hmm. a little bit when our mm-hmm. brain chemistry is different. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want like people hanging and be like, "Wait, but what do they stand for?" <laughs> diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, and more people know what DEI is, mm-hmm. although many people have very negative associations with that. Well, with the Supreme Court coming out and saying, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. And also I've heard it with justice in there. I've heard it with belonging in there. Like there's so many Mm -hmm. different acronyms that, you know. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I talk specifically about accessibility 
is because it's required by law under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so DEI can feel like this very amorphous thing that sounds nice, but we're not sure what to do with it. Mm -hmm. But accessibility is required by law. And so it's much easier for me to go to a company and say, hey, you are in breach of the law. These are some things that would help you. Oh, and by the way, there is a lot of money available from the government in the form of grants to make these changes within your company. Let me help you figure out a plan and get some grant money coming in so that we can actually pay to make these changes. Accessibility is an easier thing to sell. And that's important because people don't want to make DEI changes if they view them as political, but they'd have much fewer options when they're informed that they're not in compliance with the law. <laughs> when they could be sued for it, it's a little bit different than it's a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it changes the game because people are much more willing to play ball. Again, language. It matters here. How we're framing and shaping the conversation matters. And so many people come at cultural change with the idea that it's a problem. And by telling you that it's a problem, you're going to be able to change things, but that's not how change works. We actually have to get people on board with us. They have to want to come along for the ride. The reason we're rebuilding a highway is not because we said we have to have a road. It's because we said this is what having a road does. Mm -hmm. This is what it means for this group of people and for this group of people and for this here, your pocketbook. And let's be honest, that's a big motivation for people. So I couldn't quit social media entirely, but I could change how I played the game. I think you're just nailed it with your closing. Um, is there anything else that you want to add in terms of changing the game, figuring out how to make these systems work for you instead of feeling like you are, you know, being run by somebody else's agenda, anything along those lines, final, final thoughts, final words for our potentially neurodivergent uh, neurodiverse, I'm still working on that one, audience for our potentially, you know, just want more time back to themselves audience. Uh -huh. the, the last thing that I'll say here, and I think this is important, is that accessibility is for you too. So accessibility is about including everyone. It's about asking who did I not get at this particular table? 
who did I not invite in? And how do I do that while also making it work for me? Uh, a big one here personally for me is alt text, which I rail a lot about, but I can't personally use because talked text mostly sucks. So I don't tend to do alt text descriptions, especially for visual things like memes. And what I've come to is that I know myself, I know that if I required alt text of myself, then I would just never share the meme at all. Hmm. So getting it out there in the way that is accessible to me matters more than trying to be universally inclusive in a way that doesn't work for me. Does that mean that there are some people not included? Yes. And I'm very aware of how this affects and impacts people. But again, the goal here is to get it out in the first place. This is and progress over perfection. This is if you exactly. wait until things are, you know, uh, undefinably perfect, then you're going to put out less and it's not going to be as deep because you're going to be questioning every piece of that decision. We live in a fucking society. And when we're building these communities, part of what we have to lean on is that we can't be all of the things all of the time. So I can share my ideas with these images and perhaps someone will come along behind me and add the alt text for me. That is, that's an assumption I have to make and it may not be universally true, but if I do the work and build the community, then I'm more likely to get someone to fill in those gaps for me. And that's what accessibility is really about. That's what all of this is really about. It's about curating your community, curating your village, so that you have the ability to support yourself when things aren't accessible. Love that. So if people want to find out more about you, if they want to subscribe to the Neurodiverse Media Network, what's the best way to track you down? I am all over the place. So the best <laughs> place to find me truly is at briarharvey.com. And you can find the network at neurodiversitymedianetwork.com. And I mean, I, I got to know you on Facebook. So I mean, I, none of us... <laughs> Truly, it if is what you it is. have a preferred social media network, chances are good you can find me there. Whether or not I will actively engage, eh, it's kind of up in the air right now. But it doesn't mean you can't find me there. All right. Thank you so much for all of this, Briar. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for listening to the Social Slowdown Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or come on over to socialslowdown.com and sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. We'd also love if you could write a review to help other small business owners find the show. You can head over to socialslowdown.com slash review or grab that link in our show notes for easy access. We'll be back soon with more tips to help you market your business without being beholden to social media. Talk to you then.